The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Well, just by way of review, if you were here last week, we, we started our series in Deuteronomy, and we covered a large chunk. We covered chapters 1 through 3. And just to kind of help us all be caught up and, and know what this what Deuteronomy is all about, Deuteronomy is a, a series of sermons uh, delivered by Moses to the people of Israel. At this time, it's, he's not delivering this to these sermons to the first generation that God rescued out of Egypt, but he's delivering these sermons to, to their children, to this, the second generation. As we saw last week, the First generation, God rescued out of Egypt. He brought them to Sinai where God gave them the law. Then they left Sinai and they came to the brink of the promised land. What we saw in chapter uh, one of Deuteronomy kind of described as, as an 11 day journey. They came to the brink of the promised land and they ended up rebelling against God by not going in and taking the land uh, as God had told them to do. So that first generation was sent through the wilderness, that, that space of 11 days, they ended up wandering around, not in constant motion, mind you, sometimes camping for long periods of time, but wandering around in that space for 40 years until that first generation died off. Now Moses has led the second generation, again, right to the cusp of, of the promised land, and he is preaching these sermons knowing that he can't go with them into the promised land because he had disobeyed the word of the Lord in front of the people. He, he had himself rebelled. He hadn't believed, and he, he stood as their leader, as a man who himself failed in belief. And God said, for that reason, you are not going to be able to lead this people into the promised land. So he is preaching these sermons as a man who knows that he is about to send his congregation off that he can't go with them into this land where they're going to be uh, fighting against these other nations, taking this land that God has promised them. So he's trying to remind them from the past of certain lessons that they need to remember, just as Jordan read us uh, 1 Corinthians 10 this morning, not only is, are these sermons delivered to the second generation with the whole point of them remembering what God has done for them, and remembering the importance of obedience to his commands. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things are also written for us as an example. So as I've been stressing throughout our law, our law gospel miniseries and, and this series now, we do not discard the Old Testament, but we actually see in the Old Testament the beauty of who Christ is, the beauty of our salvation, what he has done for us. And we learn from those who have gone before us. So in chapters one through three, Moses gave the people a contrast between, between the first generation and their generation. And he took us through a series of commands of fight and take the land and do not fight and take the land. And for the first generation, they disobeyed both of those. And for that, they were killed off. Then he, he brought us through 
opportunities that the second generation had to first not fight and not take the land and then to fight and take the land and they obeyed and it resulted in their blessing, God taking them through. The whole point being that God is the one who fights for them. It is the very presence of God that they desired. That, that first generation, when they, when they disobeyed, they didn't go into the land and fight to take the land because they were afraid of the fortified cities and the giants. Then God said, okay, now the punishment is you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation dies off. And they said, okay, never mind, we'll obey. God said, don't. If you do, I'm not with you and you will fail. Because this nation is special because I have brought you into my presence. And yet they go in their rebellion and fight without the Lord. And they utterly fail. So we, re- we took away from chapters 1 through 3 the point that it is the Lord who fights for us. It is the Lord who cares for us. It is the Lord who leads us. Very much is that... Moses laid that argument out to the, this second generation about to enter the promised land. It is written here in Scripture as an example for us as well. Nothing has changed. The Lord still fights for us. The Lord still leads us. He still cares for us. Today we have the, the conclusion of Moses' first sermon in chapter 4. The next sermon that we'll get into is much longer. But this is the, the conclusion of Moses' first sermon. So with that, let me pray, and then we'll read this lengthy chapter together. Father, I pray that you would just strengthen us as we come before your word. Help me, help us to know that you are the God who fights for us, that we ought to desire nothing other than being in your presence, nothing other than you, Father. Help us to know that You are great and greatly to be praised. Father, help us to listen to your voice, to desire you above all else. Let's pray for your strength as we we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As as I read through chapter 4, and probably for the sake of time, I'm going to leave off the last uh, eight verses or so, but... As we read through chapter 4, I want you to listen to a few things because it is a lengthy chapter. Just listen to how many times, you don't have to count it in your mind, but just listen for the ideas of God's voice and his people hearing his voice. Listen for the idea of them holding fast to him alone, the contrast with holding fast to those things which are false gods. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have 
taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So, and you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the sea, under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat 
nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you. Since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of, a, of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war? by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance. As it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Again, kind of the, the main idea of this closing part of Moses' sermon is for the people, for the second generation, and, and for us today as, as we read this sermon, it's kind of a fun thing to have to read a sermon in a sermon. But we ought to listen to the voice of the Lord our God and hold fast to him alone. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God and hold fast to him alone. The first thing we see in, in the first eight verses is this idea of holding fast to the Lord your God. And Moses calls them to hold fast and keep his commands that you might live. Keep his commands and do them. Now, this idea of that you may, might live is not the idea of eternal life or, or a, a, a obedience that justifies them. As we talked about in our mini-series on law and gospel, the idea of here is what he has set forward in, in chapters 1 through 3 as examples. He says, do you see that disobedience led to death and obedience leads to life? He says, as you go into this new land, believe me, obeying the Lord your God, obeying his commands will go well with you. You will enjoy God's richest blessings 
not saying things are always going to be perfect, especially when we think of ourselves. We aren't promised a perfect life without suffering. But we do see that when we submit ourselves humbly to God's commands, he does promise to bless us. He says, do not add to them or take from them. This is kind of the issue of authority. And as the idea is, who is your authority? Who will you submit to? Who will you follow? It is God who spoke to you out of the fire. It is God who gave you his commands. Listen to him. Don't add or take away from them. Don't tweak the commands to kind of conform to what we want. Because all of us have done that. All of us do that all the time. And this is no different for this generation of, of, the, of Israel about to enter the promised land. In fact, they would be tempted to tweak God's commands to their own favor, to the things that they like. They would be tempted to see the nations around them say, oh, do you see what they do? Maybe we should kind of tweak this a little bit because I like what they've got. Proverbs chapter 3 has those familiar familiar words, those verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You may have heard of this, that we shouldn't read the book of Proverbs as promises, but as this is generally speaking how life works best. I think recently I used the example of maybe Halloween candy or something with my boys but as parents, we kind of know as we, as we are leading and guiding our children and we lay down certain rules, we know what is best for them. We know what protects them. We don't go playing out in our busy street because we have a lot of people who just fly through there with no regard for human life, it seems. So we don't let our children play out in our street. We have certain rules about that. When we go out on a family walk, we want our children to stop, especially Ellis, and we stop at a curb before crossing the street so that we can give him the all, the all clear. There are certain rules that we give because we know what's best. We know what will, generally speaking, prolong life. We know what, what makes the household run well, like lying. We all struggle with lying from time to time, and we know in a household that if we aren't speaking the truth to one another, that trust is degraded. So that hurts the relationships that we have in our household. So these commands, that these rules that we might have even as parents to our children aren't meant, aren't given out of a spirit of meanness, but one of, one of protection and loving care of knowing what is best. And this is how God is giving the children of Israel his commands and what Moses is saying to them Trust the Lord, obey him. He has given us his commands. And he gives an example in these first eight verses of uh, them worshiping Baal at Baal Peor. And 
This goes back to Numbers and the story of, of Balak, the king, seeing the children of Israel come in. This is actually just after they defeated Sion and Og. And Balak is like, okay, this is a great people. And he, he finds Balaam, that, that prophet that we are very familiar with, at least because he's his, the one that the donkey talked to, talked to him. And there's these prophecies that, that Balaam makes. And whatever Balaam does, he can't speak against Israel. He can't speak against Israel. And Balak is getting so furious with Balaam. But Balaam says, I, I just can't do it. God's not allowing me to speak against them. But what we know from Scripture is what Balaam then does is though he can't speak against Israel, he tells Balak their weak spot. He says, you get them to start mixing with the other people, marrying them, getting involved in their temple prostitution, bringing the worship of Baal in, that's, that's how you get these people. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened at Baal Peor as, as they began worshiping Baal, they, they looked to the other nations and they saw this whole idea of these cult prostitutes and the sexual immorality mixed in with religious worship and their sinful lusts. They say, oh, that looks pretty nice. Why can't we do that? And they gave in. You have, then you have the story of the, the zeal of Phineas as it's being flaunted in front of the congregation and he goes in with a spear and kills these people who are flaunting the, this worship of Baal through these perverted ways. He kills them. So he gives them this example. Basically, instead of, instead of conforming to the nations around them, their obedience to God's righteous commands was meant to be a testimony to the nations, a testimony of God's nearness to them. As you just even think about kind of New Testament examples of this as, as Christians, as believers, as God's chosen people, what does Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is the same for this second generation about to go in the promised land, Moses is saying, don't look to the other nations and think what they've got is, looks good. God has spoken to you. God has given you these commands. And by your obedience to his righteous commands, the other nations are supposed to look at you. And they are supposed to say, wow, look at those righteous commands commands this righteous law that these people obey and look at their God. Look at the nearness of their God. What other people has there ever been since the beginning of creation who has had such blessing? 
First Peter 2, we hear some similar language. As Peter writes, he says, abstain. And he, again, just as a way, by way of reminder, Peter is writing to believers who are dispersed abroad. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when they speak uh, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As Christians, we may take all sorts of flack in our world that is calling evil good and good evil as we are saying, okay, you say that, but the word of God, the very voice of God spoken through his word says that is evil. This is good, and we must obey God rather than man, even though they may throw their darts at us, they may throw us in prison, whatever it might be. Peter says, you obey. And even through all those evil accusations, they will see your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. What we do as God's children we ought to be reflecting his image in us. As he is more and more conforming us to the image of his son, we ought to be a people who the world can look at and say, what is different about that person? And as they see what's different about us, Lord willing, they hear the gospel from our lips and they say, this Jesus Christ, who is he? Come back to that. In verses 9 through 24, kind of the theme is Moses talking to the people, encouraging them, encouraging them not to forget. So hold fast to the Lord your God and do not forget. He says, you heard the very voice of God at Sinai. He wrote his commandments on tablets of stone. I think I mentioned last week, Moses comes down from, from Sinai with the tablets of the, the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger. And he threw them down and broke them as they were worshiping uh, the golden calf. Then Moses had to go back up with new tablets and God wrote his commands again. And these are the very tablets that they would carry around with them in the Ark of the Covenant as a, as a kind of perpetual reminder to them that it is the very voice of God who spoke to you from Sinai. And even though this second generation, some of them may not have, even, may not have been there, they still carry around the tablets that God wrote. The very voice of God is brought to them through these tablets and through the preaching of God's people. So they're to teach these things dil diligently to their children and their children's children. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks in Deuteronomy chapter six. As Moses in, the, in his second sermon says, you shall teach them diligently to your children 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We are are such forgetful people. Moses is telling this generation, he says, do not forget. And I'm telling you, do not forget because I know that you are prone to forget. As we sing in our hymn, we are prone to wander. Do not forget. And how do we not forget? We talk about what the Lord has done for us from the rising of the sun to its setting, to the time our head comes off the pillow, to the time it hits the pillow at the end of the day. It ought to be just infused in us and flowing out of us where we can't help but talk to our children and our children's children after them about the greatness of the Lord our God and what he has done for us the sweetness of his commands, the beauty and the righteousness of them. We have to, as people, recognize that we are extremely forgetful. This is why I, I hear it frequently mentioned about preaching the gospel to yourself. We need to always remember what God has done for us through Christ. We need to be rehearsing it. We need to be living it. We need to be in the word of God, reading it. We need to be talking to ourselves and to our spouses and to our children, to our friends about it. Nothing like this has ever happened in the entirety of the, create, of, of the world. And yet... Moses has to remind us people who has seen so much of what God has done. They've seen the firsthand accounts. They've, they've, they've seen, they've heard the stories. They've, heard, they've rehearsed the stories. They have the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. They have all these things. And yet Moses knows that their evil hearts are going to be prone to wander. And they're going to be prone to wander to idols. He says, you saw... You, you heard the voice of God from Sinai. You saw his flame and the fire and the, the clouds. You saw all that, but do you recognize there's no form? You heard his voice. Do not run after idols. Do not run after these things that can't even speak to you. But you saw no form on the mountain. Therefore, don't flee to a simple form. In verse 23, he says, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Again, I, I want to read a, a section from Second Peter. You don't need to turn there. But it'll be Second Peter 1. Just listen to the similar tone as Peter, as a, as a preacher who cares for the, these scattered believers. He writes in verse 9, after talking about these various qualities that should be part of, of the believer's life, that should be apparent, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This reminds me of a, 
uh, a Puritan author just talking about uh, this constant meditation of the goodness of God and the, the salvation that he has in Christ. And he talked about bathing in the morning and thinking as the water came over his head and washed away the dirt from his body, he would think, Lord, thank you for washing me clean in the blood of Christ, for cleansing me from my sins. He would, he would go through, as he talks about, just a, a constant life of prayer, of seeing the various things in life and immediately just connecting them to those wonderful gospel truths. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. I mean, we just came off of our Thanksgiving week where we ought to be thinking about those things that we are thankful for. This ought to be a heartbeat of the believer's life that we are constantly meditating on the goodness of God toward us. Peter continues, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will, be rich, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen to Peter's pastoral heart. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. It's very much the same pastoral heart that Moses has as he knows that he is about to, to leave this people as they go into the promised land. He so much wants them to just remember what God has done for them, that they would recall these things constantly, that it would be just part of the fabric of their everyday lives. But as we read in this last part of the sermon, Moses kind of gives this warning about fleeing to idols. And there's a bit of a, a prophetic realization to it where Moses warns against it, but almost his tone seems to say, but I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to do it. Something very similar is as Moses leaves the people and the people go into the promised land, Joshua becomes their new leader. You, you think of the famous verse that, that in Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's interesting in that scene as the people say, yes, we will do that. And he says, no, you won't. No, yes, we will. He says, then go to your tents right now and take out all those idols that I know are there and destroy them. You will not. There's a bit of this in, in Moses' sermon here. And as he says, you will flee to idols, the sweetness that he comes around to is that even if you forget the covenant, the Lord, your God, will never forget the covenant that he has made. So if you forget the covenant and run after gods who are no gods at all, the Lord, 
will remove you from the land and scatter you among other nations. Verse, verse 28, he says, there, there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. You see, as, as they forget the, the very covenant that God gave them, the covenant that he gave them and the commands he gave them, the very voice that they heard, and they turn to these idols who, all, the, although they're carved with all the, the body parts, they, they have ears but can't hear. They have noses but can't smell. They have mouths but can't speak. But it is the very God who spoke to you from the mountain. You heard his voice, but he knows they're going to flee these things. And as, as they flee to these things, instead of being the light and salt that they're meant to be for the other nations looking in, they just become like them. They'd worship inanimate objects. And, but in this kind of prophetic part of the sermon, Moses says, but in that time when when God pulls you back out of that land and you worship these false gods who are no gods at all, you will call out to the Lord your God. They'll realize in their foolishness that they have turned from the living and true God. I read it this morning in Psalm 135 and similar words in Psalm 115. Talking about idols, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And then Isaiah 44 just talks about the foolishness of us running to these idols as he talks about the carpenter who, who spends time planting a seed in the earth and waters it and nourishes it so it can grow into a tree that he can then chop down. And with half of the wood, he burns a fire to keep himself warm and he cooks his food over it. And then when, with the other half, he carves it into an idol that he bows down to worship and calls out to it to please bless me. And Isaiah says, what, what foolishness. This thing that is a, a created thing that you even took part in growing and, and chopping down and used part of it for your own purposes and part of it to make this supposed God. What foolishness is there? But that, that is the very foolishness that all of us tend to run into. We might have a harder time in our Western culture, you know, imagine worshiping idols, but we worship plenty of idols. It's just might maybe not quite as apparent to us as it might be if you go to a part of the world where idol worship is still a thing. And the, the, the principle there is this understanding that we were created to worship God, but when Adam and Eve fell, Instead of worshiping God, we fled to him. But because we were designed to worship, we have to worship something. We exchange the life-giving glory of God for things that only bring death and decay. We do this just all, all the time. I just 
reading an article this week that resonated with me because I, I remember when I was in this place, it was funny, Cammy and I were talking about video games this morning. This has nothing to do with that other than bringing up video games. But this, he, he was talking about at a time in his life, I think his college days, where he just gave so much of his life to video games and he realized that the more time he spent in these video games, the more time he was, found himself annoyed with others, that God and people became an inconvenience for him. That what he really wanted was the video games. And he, and he saw that his flesh was weakened. And he ended up giving into other sins. Not saying that video games are wrong. Reese and I were just playing some video games yesterday. But there are things in our lives that, that we turn into idols and we worship them. We take the things that, that God has given us that are good and we pervert them. Our culture does this all the time. We do this all the time. Things like pornography, bowing down to the, the little computer in our pocket, being hooked to just these things, even if it's just getting good information, whatever it might be, we can, we can bow ourselves so much to the idol of these things in our lives, whether it be our job or, or our looks or whatever it might be, you name it, that we, we take and we put in the place of God. These, we, we bow ourselves down to these things and we need to be mindful especially those things that, don't, that aren't in and of themselves sinful. We need to be mindful that so often because we are created to worship and we so often are prone to wander and worship things that are no gods at all. You know, as I said, our hearts are our little idol factories. We can create idols out of anything. We can create idols out of our marriages and our family. We need to be very aware that we do that. We need to watch out for it. We need to remember that it is God who's the true and living God, that my, my phone can give me all sorts of information. I can even have it talk back to me. But it's not the voice of God. We have the very word of God, we know what his commands are true and righteous and holy and good. We know that he is righteous, that he loves us, that he has adopted us and brought us into his family. Why would we flee from worshiping him to worshiping something that is in the end nothing at all? Verse 31 Moses says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. When we do the, those things, when we start realizing that we are turning our worship to, to created things rather than the creator, we need to remember, do not forget 
that we have a God who loves us and cares for us, who invites us when we sin to come into his presence to confess our sins. Why? Because he says, I am faithful and just, and I want to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As often as the people of Israel would forget God and, and run to other idols, we need to recognize that we have that same tendency to forget the, the mercy and grace of God and run away from him to things that are no gods at all. But we need to remember that God will never forget. Though we forget, he will never forget. So we need to hold fast to God. We need to not forget what God has done for us through Christ. We need to not forget his righteous word, his righteous commands. We need to remember that even when we forget, he is the God who always remembers. And then finally, in verses 32 through 40, Moses reminds the people that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. And there's a certain urgency that Moses preaches this last word to the people. He says, know today, know today that the Lord is God. He says, look at the whole history of humanity. Has there ever been a God who has done such wonderful things as these? Has there ever been a God who spoke to his people from the fire, who took a people who were not a people and made them his own, his own treasured possession, a kingdom of priests? Has he ever done such a thing? And the answer is no. Why would you run to other idols? when you know that the Lord alone is God. Verse 39 says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath, that there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Moses doesn't simply say, I want you to consider these things as you, as you go into the promised land. Just think about it, tuck it away somewhere. At some point, pull this out and remember it. No, there's an urgency to what Moses is saying. He says, no today. There's no time like the present. Know today that the Lord is God and there is none other beside him. For us, as we kind of consider Moses' sermon preached to us, preached to our hearts, we can ask some similar questions. What God has redeemed a sinful and rebellious people and made them his own possession? What God has given their only son to accomplish that redemption? 
what God has spoken and given his word so that he could be known and worshiped. What God from the very beginning of creation has done such things? Well, the answer is none. As we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 10, an idol is nothing. It is nothing because there are no real other gods. There is one true and living God. So as we consider just what God has done for us in Christ, we think of the salvation that, these, that the children of Israel had, salvation out of Egypt. We have been shown such one, as, as much more amazing revelation of who our God is and that he did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up to be nailed on a cross to suffer and die, not only physically, but the very wrath of God against our sins. What God has done that sort of thing. All the gods that we create in our own imagination, we, we think of maybe kind of like the, the God of the King Kong movies where you, you take the, the woman and put her out as a sacrifice to appease the God for a time and then you have to do it again and then you do it again. We have a God who says, you can't appease me so I will give my own son as the sacrifice to suffer and die for you so that you can be cleansed from your sin, so that you can be counted righteous, so that you can be brought near and not just made a servant, but a child, a son and daughter of the living God. What God has done such things in all of creation? None but our God. So I would say choose today. First off, if you're, if you're here and you're not a believer, you're not quite sure about Jesus, about who he is. You're not sh- quite sure about the gospel message. He has come to save sinners. If you are a sinner, and call out to him today. And then for those of us who, who are believers, we know the gospel message, but we still, because our hearts are idol, factor, are idol factories, we'll still, we still cling to so many sins. We cling to sins that beset us. We struggle through life. The message for us is choose today. Will you serve that idol Or will you serve the living and true God? Are you willing to humble yourselves before his holy and righteous commands and say, even though I sometimes desire to do the things that that guy is doing or sometimes desire to do the things that are just flowing out of my own heart, Are you willing to submit and humble yourself to him, to not add or, sub- or subtract to his commands, but say, Lord, I trust you as the living and true God that you know 
what is right and what is good and what is holy and what is best for me. Choose today. Hold fast to Christ. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget his righteous commands. And always remember in your deepest moments that he is the God who never forgets his covenant promises toward you. He is faithful and just. As we turn to communion, this is that message that was read in 1 Corinthians 10. Even though an idol is nothing, you can't serve idols in Christ. Every time you come to the communion table for us as, as children, it's a, re, it's a reminder what God has done for us in Christ. But it also ought to be that reminder that we can't partake of Christ and at the same time be part, participants with Satan. We can't cling to Christ and cling to our uh, sexual sins. We can't cling to Christ and cling to whatever sin you might put in the blank. We need to confess our sins. We need to come before God. And what... What a wonderful time to do it when we are face to face with a beautiful example of what Christ has done for us and he gave his body for us. He spilled his blood, his lifeblood for us so that we might be ushered into the family of God. He took the wrath that is due us for those sins and absorbed it so that we could be justified, declared righteous, before God and brought into his family. So if you believe these things, if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and this meal is for you and you're invited to it, if you don't, we would ask that you allow the elements to pass simply so that you're not confused. This does not save you, does not save us, does not keep us saved. It is simply one of those things, a sacrament that God has given us because we're forgetful people to remember what he has done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we come before your supper this morning, that you would help it to be that reminder for us. That you would remind us of all that you've done for us in Christ. And that as a reminder, we would see the foolishness of our sin, the foolishness of our false worship and run from those things and cling to you. We are such forgetful people and prone to wander. So help us, Father, to hold fast to Christ. Help us to hold fast to your good and righteous and holy commands.
help us to die to ourselves, remembering that we are not our own, but we have been bought with the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.